welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. We are super um, lucky to have speaking to us this morning, um, Eric Jesperson. Eric is a man who just carries kindness in his eyes and in his heart. Um, He speaks with a real gentle spirit, but with real authority as well. And um, him and his wife, Rebecca, do the social transformation stuff. But um, so often we can define people by their titles, not by who they are. And so... um, Eric's going to bring who he is this morning, and we're super excited for that. So would you join me in welcoming Eric as he comes up to speak? Thank you, Mike. Thank you, guys. So, so good to be with you here this morning. We are on our final Sunday of our Lent series in the lead-up to Easter, Um, we've been studying, you know, as we approach Easter through the season of Lent, we intentionally want to meditate upon the cross. We want to reflect on it, on its story, on its power, on its significance for us. And so that's what we've been doing over the past few weeks. And as Christians, we can often focus on the message of the cross, what that means for us personally, and, uh, you know, the good news that Jesus died for us, that he laid down his life, sacrificed it for our freedom and, uh, um, and eternal life. But there's another part of the cross that is so important for us not to miss, and it can be easily overlooked, and that is what we call the way of the cross. That in Jesus' own life, his ministry, his journey towards the cross, he actually modeled for us a lifestyle, a paradigm for living as his followers that we are invited into as well. And we call that the way of the cross. We're invited to embrace it. And the way of the cross is a lifestyle that moves away from self-interest and self-preservation and moves towards living into the the goodness of surrender and sacrifice and trust. And because the culture around us promotes the self-preservation and the self-interest so much, it's important for us as the followers of Jesus, as the people of God, to really embody and absorb the way of the cross and live that out as countercultural people in our day and age uh, for the benefit of the world, for it to be a living message to the world, but also for our own freedom. And we're going to talk about that today. The way of the cross is this invitation to fearlessly pour out our lives, to boldly embrace suffering and loss and meaningfully respond to our own human brokenness. And as we say yes to that invitation, uh, we discover that the way of the cross isn't some sort of morbid path to travel, but is actually the most beautiful route that we can choose. And, uh, and it's an often overlooked track that far too few people locate. And so Bill Kahusak opened this series talking about the delight of dying to self. And then Jill Weber spoke about the joy of absolute surrender. Last week, Bob Eckblad was speaking on the theme of the goodness of giving ourselves away. Uh, 
And today I'm going to be speaking on the freedom of embracing loss. So if you have a Bible with you, would you open with me to John chapter 12? Today, as you know, is Palm Sunday, and it's the day we remember Jesus entering Jerusalem on his route to the cross. And John chapter 12 recounts this arrival where he was met by crowds with their palm branches. But then once he had arrived in Jerusalem, he he began to speak about the cross and what it meant for him and what it meant for his followers. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So we're going to pick up John chapter 12 in verse 23 and read through to verse 28. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servants also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Speaking of The death that he is about to face, Jesus uses this beautiful metaphor of a seed that is buried in the ground, that experiences a kind of death in order for it to rise again and produce more seed that becomes multiplied again and again. And as part of the message of the cross, We understand this to mean Jesus' death and resurrection, releasing a power that when we put our faith in him, we get to experience as well. It somehow is multiplied into our lives. But Jesus doesn't only speak of that. He's not only speaking about his own journey to the cross. He goes on to speak about the way of the cross for all of us. Because he says, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servants will also be. Well, if we're going where Jesus is going, where is he about to go? He's about to go to the cross. He's about to be the seed buried in the ground. And I don't know about you, but I bulk at that kind of message, you know. I, you know, could we just delete that verse or maybe end the quote, you know, verse 24, uh, just about what Jesus is doing for us. This call to actually enter into something of Jesus' own journey is a hard one because I instinctively, in life, avoid any kind of death or, or pain or loss, you know, it's my instinct to, to avoid anything like that. 
Um, you know, I, my instinct is to preserve my comfort, my safety, my resources. I don't want to experience that kind of loss. I spend money on insurances to cushion me from the impact of any sort of loss through breakage or, or theft or accident. And I keep my medicine cupboard well stocked to medicate me from any sort of ache or pain. You know, I, I want to avoid that. I don't want my life to be a seed that gets buried in the ground before I can grow and bear fruit. I want my life to be a beach with sunshine and a lounger and maybe even a cocktail. You know, that's the life I want. And so I'm resistant to the way of the cross. Aren't we all resistant to the way of the cross, the invitation to that? But in this passage, Jesus not only recognizes our resistance, amazingly, he identifies with it. Do you see there? He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Isn't that the kind of response that we have? You know, hearing this invitation to enter that lifestyle? Except maybe Jesus puts it a bit more politely, you know. Now my soul is troubled. You know, we're probably screaming inside, you know, what the, you know, get me out of here. I don't want to experience that. I want to run the other way. But Jesus invites us to stick with him in this. And he invites us into the way of the cross because although it's counterintuitive, it's a kingdom lifestyle that can set us free. The way of the cross, as I said before, calls us to move away from self-interest and self-preservation and embrace this thing called loss. And in it, we can find a deep and a remarkable freedom. And here is why. Because in the cross, we learn this, that death is always followed by resurrection. Death is always followed by resurrection. A seed that is buried in the ground always rises. So every type of death that we experience, every loss, every setback, has within it the prospect and the hope of resurrection, of new life. And because of this truth, we do not have to fear loss. In fact, we can courageously embrace it. We can lean into it. And knowing that is so liberating. You see, as much as we try to dodge the experience of pain or loss, 
it's actually unavoidable, isn't it? I mean, life is marked by a series of little deaths and losses. But it is also marked by a series of little resurrections. Richard Rohr puts it this way. He says, creation itself, the natural world, already believes the gospel and lives the pattern of death and resurrection, even if unknowingly. The natural world believes in necessary suffering as the very cycle of life. Just observe the daily dying of the sun so that all things on this planet can live. The total change of seasons, the plants and trees along with it. It's only the human species that absents itself from the agreed-on pattern and the general dance of life and death. He says, just look at creation. You know, we see it even at this time of year, the, the rise, the resurrection of spring after the death of winter. And when we study nature and we look in the world around us, it's just this pattern of, of death and renewal all the time. That's how things grow, transform, um, metamorphose into what they're meant to be. And, and, and Raw says, it's only us as humans who feel that somehow we can try and extricate ourselves from that very pattern that's built into the design of the world. That we somehow want to uh, be immune to that pattern and, and grow and develop in a different way. But he says we have to accept that actually there's this dance of life and death, that life is marked by death and resurrection, by loss and renewal. And think with me just about your own journey through life, about how true this is. Just to be born involves a loss of a familiar, comfortable, and safe environment as we leave the womb and transition into a world that is unknown and scary and dangerous. But it's an essential death, an essential transition from what we know in order to become alive to what we were made for. And in childhood, we go through a series of these losses and transitions and rebirths. We have these repeated experiences of losing what we know to enter something new. You know, as children, we cry at those stages, we protest, we even feel powerless for a little while. But they're essential transitions. I still remember the first day that my mother left me at nursery school, you know, crying, don't leave me, you know. But that, that loss, that break that happened there, that little death of, of the tie that I had there was an essential part of me growing up. 
And we experience it as we come to a stage in life where we leave childhood, we leave the comfortable dependency we can have as infants and have to step up into the world. That we go through different stages of school, leaving primary school, then going into senior school, leaving that and moving on. We lose relationships, we lose familiarity, we lose comfort in what we know and the structure, and we progress on. There are little deaths. And each time we learn, oh, that wasn't so bad. Actually, here are some new relationships. Here are some new encounters. Here's more of what I'm called into. And then we leave school and we, we go out into the working world. And again, we lose all the structure and the safety of, of school. But we, we are becoming who we're made to be. And that loss, that death, that transition is vital that we do that. As we grow as adults, perhaps we reach a point where the gray hairs start to appear and we start getting aches as we get up in the morning and we're losing our youthfulness, our natural fitness and strength. And we have to deal with that and embrace that. We can't always pretend that we're the high school football star or the prom queen or whatever, you know, and always living back to that. We allow that to die. We let it go. And we move on. And then, you know, perhaps we get to a stage where our children even are leaving home. And there's a death to that. There's a, a sense of loss as we transition. And on and on it goes. Do you see how life is taking us through this? And we need to let go. We need to allow that process to happen. And so Jesus in John 12 talks about that. If you cling on to this life that you've come to love, if you hold on to it, you're actually losing the real life you're called to. But if you're willing to let it go and lean in to what is ahead, then there's actually, we start our eternal life now. We're entering into what he truly has for us. That's what Jesus calls us into in the way of the cross. We each experience becomes a lesson that teaches us that letting go, choosing to release the thing that we're clinging onto is never the end. Something new always rises. Death is always followed by resurrection, by new life. And even when we experience circumstances that are beyond our control, things that bring us to the end of ourselves, loss of health, loss of employment, loss of a marriage, loss of a business, loss of a loved one, loss of trust, loss of a dream. In these times, we have the opportunity to let go of the external things that we're clinging to for security and familiarity. And we can learn to trust God, holding on to the hope of resurrection, that there is always new life. There is always a rising. I told you earlier that I want my life to be a beach. And 11 years ago, I was down on the beach in Devon when I dived into the sea and struck my head 
on a rock and broke my neck. And it was feared at the time that I might be paralyzed from the neck down. And, you know, at the time, uh, my family was still quite young. I was in my 30s, planting a church, building a ministry, trying to establish myself in the world, make my mark. And when the accident happened, it just felt like the end. I, I thought I was finished. And I remember that first night lying in the hospital bed, weeping in pain and loneliness, and just thinking, no more football games with my sons, no more ministry or usefulness to God, just I'm done, it's over. This is it, this is the end. And I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but through a series of miracles, I was saved from that prognosis. I'm here today, standing, moving around. And, um, but, but in that crucible of that, that experience, in that small death I experienced, as I leaned into the loss, something new was born. It was like I'd traveled to the end of my life and then come back again. And out of that came a renewal. And with that, even a, a renewed focus on ministering to the margins, on who I was called to, to be. You know, there was this, this freedom that I felt. Um, suddenly, this freedom of fear, like, what's the worst that could happen? You know, I, it almost, like, as if I tasted as bad as it could get. And it was like, so, so what if I fail? So what if I try the things I've always feared trying? Because I can only fail. I mean, and so what? And it had killed some of that fear of man, fear of failure. There was a death to that. And therefore, a new life. And as I leaned into that, one of the things that was born out of that whole season was the lighthouse, was what we do now. Um, because it had... It had allowed me to, to refocus and be reborn into what I was truly called to do. So when we understand the work of God in these small deaths and resurrections that we pass through, it, it shapes us and transforms us. But also, it prepares us for the big one. You know, that, that final death that we experience in this life. We should be able to reach our natural death with a confident freedom from fear. You know, with a certainty about the next resurrection. Oh, I've been through loads of deaths, experienced loads of resurrections. Here's another one. Oh, death, where's your sting? What's going to happen? I'm going to die and rise again. No big deal. And that's what the first followers of Jesus had discovered. That's what they're speaking about in the scriptures, in the New Testament. Just take the Apostle Paul's writings, for example, in his letter to the Philippians. He says things like this, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. To live is Christ, to die is gain. All I want is to know Christ and the power that raised him to life. I want to suffer and die as he did, so that somehow I may also be raised to life. 
Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Paul is not being morbid. You know, Philippians is actually one of his most joyful letters. It's an exuberant letter. But Paul is speaking about a deep truth he had discovered that had set him free from any sort of fear around loss and death, that in fact he had understood this as a lifestyle, a way. And so he's saying, you know, any little death I experience holds no fear. And he had experienced a lot. You know, he had, he had been shipwrecked, he had been stoned, left for dead, he had gone hungry, he had, you know, just on and on and on. But each one, somehow he had risen again, dusted himself off and gone, oh, is that the worst that happens? Actually, I feel released into a new life, something new open for him. And so he writes with this joyful optimism about death. So he experienced that the buried seed always rises. That is the way of the cross. That's what Jesus invites us into. And you know from your own stories how this happens. So, if we're going to embrace this way, if we're going to embrace loss, how do we do that? How do we cooperate with the transformational work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? How do we helpfully learn to lean into these small deaths and the resurrections that transform our souls? Well, experts have noticed that there are at least five definable stages that people pass through as they experience significant loss. And they are denial, anger, bargaining, sadness, and acceptance. And I just want to spend a bit of time talking about those five stages. Because as we experience any kind of loss, whether small or large, we can actually pass through those stages ourselves. And knowing this can be really helpful for embracing loss and letting it do God's work in us. So the first is denial. You know, when the pain first strikes, our response is, this cannot be happening. This is not happening to me. Surely not. When we were 25, Rebecca and I set out to plant a church. And at the time, we had two young children, a three-year-old and a newborn. And we moved to a new area and a house that hadn't been modernized in 30 years. I was working full-time, commuting to London, and in our spare time was trying to renovate this house and plant a church. And two years into this crazy venture, I hit an emotional and physical wall and uh, crashed with chronic fatigue syndrome, ME. And that lasted for nine years. And at the start, when I first became ill, I just kept saying, I'll be fine. You know, just a bit more rest and I'll bounce back. Just, just another day maybe another week, by the end of the month. It took me such a long time to embrace the reality. I was in denial. It took me so long to embrace the reality of what my family and I were facing, a chronic illness 
that had absolutely no prospect of ever going away. The second stage is anger. You know, when we can't ignore the painful truth, anger surfaces at the cause, at ourselves, at God, at anyone else around who might be, you know, within firing range. And I know for me in that experience, when I fell ill, I was angry at God. We've sacrificed all this. And look at the crisis we're in. I was angry with myself. I felt like I was letting my family down, letting God down, that I just didn't have what it takes. And so we can, we can just experience anger about it. The third stage is bargaining. It's a very natural and normal reaction to blunt pain, to start to try and bargain our way out of it, to do a deal. We instinctively want to make a deal. What can I do to get rid of the pain and go back to normal? And that's always the key. How can I get back to normal? How can I return to where I was? You know, Jesus talked about the life you love. How can I get back to that one rather than walking forward and embracing what's next? And so it's an attempt to just get away, you know, a get out of jail free card. You know, who can I pay to, to, to do this? Is there a prayer I can pray? You know, maybe if I just repent of something, change something, then I can just get back to how things were. And so there's this bargaining we try with God and with ourselves. And really, it, they often come up like really valid questions, but it's more of an escape than the courage to actually face the hard facts. So that's the third stage, bargaining. And then there's sadness. Slowly, gradually, we give up on making any kind of bargain, any kind of deal to get out of the pain. And in that stage, the loss can really take shape. It can feel palpable. And a profound sadness can fill our heart. And this stage can feel and look a lot like depression. However, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And it's when we get into this kind of level that we need to have the courage to lean into the pain. Alan Emerson, who's a good friend of Emmaus Road and leads 24-7 in Ireland and has written a stunning book called Luminous Dark about his experience of loss, of losing his young wife. And uh, one of the key messages, he says, is to lean into the pain. You know, we're, we're so good at medicating away pain. Anything painful, we just assume is negative. So uh, we, we resist it, we push away from it, we medicate it. But, but we're invited to actually sit with it, lean into it. And what happens then is we come to the fifth stage, which is acceptance. Sooner or later, new hope starts to rise. We come to accept what's happened and we move forward. We start taking hold of that future life that Jesus promises, that next peace. The rebirth starts to happen. We have new insights, perhaps ones that we couldn't get any other way. And these become for us what we call treasures found in the darkness. You know, we discover that we have more compassion, 
that we have deeper joy, that we have more love for others and for ourselves. I've often said about my prolonged experience, my ME, that I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like, I wouldn't want anyone else to go through that, but for me, it had become this treasure, this deep and profound experience. It had shaped me and formed me in all sorts of ways. It had become a basis of authenticity that enabled me to minister with humility to others. So it's helpful to understand these five stages. And, you know, we don't necessarily experience them in order. They come and go. We circle around them. But it can be really helpful just to understand. It can look a bit messy. But to experience the freedom on the other side, we need to lean into that and embrace it. And as we come in to land on this message, I want to leave you with three keys to embracing loss, three things that can help you. And the first is to lean into the Bible. Read the Bible often and thoroughly. Don't avoid sections that are uncomfortable. Don't read it selectively, but, you know, and end up with a lopsided view of the way God works. But reflect on Jesus' life example. Read the letters of the New Testament. Understand that, that the scripture teaches us about pain and life, about all of it. You know, they're not just the little happy promises we stick on our fridge, but it's all in there. So lean into the scriptures, lean into the Bible. The second is lean into the pain. Learn the stages of grief and be honest with your own emotions as you experience them in small and great losses. You know, the denial, the anger, the bargaining, the sadness, the acceptance. Understand what's going on, be honest, lean into it. And lean into the future. Embrace loss with courage. You know, trust that there is a rising. Search for the new insights, um, the deeper spirituality, the transformation that comes through it, the fresh hope. Lean into that future. So Mike is going to come up and help us uh, respond to this message. But as he does that, I just want to close by coming back to Jesus' words from John 12. And I want to read them from the message translation. Jesus says, Listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried... It sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal.